Hi and welcome to Data Hack Radio. This is Kunal, your host for the show. In this episode, we will talk to Dr. Melanie Mitchell, who is currently a professor of computer science at Portland State University. Dr. Melanie did her PhD in 1990 from University of Michigan where she developed the copycat cognitive architecture. She has authored multiple books and won the 2010 Phi Beta Kappa Science Book Award. She has an upcoming book on artificial intelligence, a guide for thinking humans. And in this episode, we'll talk to Professor Melanie Mitchell about her past work and her views about the coming years in artificial intelligence. Thanks, uh, Professor Mitchell, for uh, accepting our invite to be guest on the show. I really liked your article in New York Times, and uh, hence we wanted you to be uh, the guest on the show. So, uh, to start with, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background? How did you get uh, interested in computer science, and how did that happen? Sure. Um, when I was an undergraduate. Many years ago, I read Douglas Hofstadter's book called *Girdle Escher Bach and a Turtle Golden Braid*, um, and that book, which is about artificial intelligence, really it influenced me a huge amount and uh, made me decide that I wanted to do research in artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. So I contacted the author and asked him if I could come uh, work for him, mm-hmm. and ended up uh, going to graduate school. And he was my advisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I did a PhD in uh, computer science with him. Interesting. So that's what got me into the field. Mm-hmm. And uh, and how hot was artificial intelligence at that time? How how popular was it? How much? Uh, well, well, it was it was fairly popular. Um, this was in the um, middle middle to late 1980s and early 1990s, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, neural networks were just becoming quite popular you know mm-hmm. not not the deep kind but yeah. we didn't have the computation for that back then but mm-hmm. the, the shallow kind and um i was very influenced also by another professor of mine john holland who was uh, the inventor of genetic algorithms mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he was interested in how you know not not just the brain but also evolution could be an inspiration for computer systems that mm-hmm. um uh, learn on their own and exhibit intelligence. Mm-hmm. So AI was AI was not as, you know, it was it was sort of heating up again but it it, it was sort of the the whole logic based symbolic AI was turning out to be something of a disappointment mm-hmm. to many people and yeah. neural nets were sort of becoming more uh it, people were becoming more excited about them. interesting interesting and then you uh, did your phd uh, so what was the uh, subject of your research and uh, what was the thesis and uh, and you, what did you uh, research on uh, in, as part yes so um i my project was on analogy making mm-hmm. so building a computer program that can make analogies in an sort of idealized domain Mm-hmm. of letter strings 
uh, the program was called Copycat because it <laughs> was a <laughs> it it was sort of the using a, analogy is sort of uh, the idea was it was doing the same thing as uh, the 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 person you know somebody would give it a, a situation that changed in some way and it was supposed to make the same change analogous to what the person had done. So uh, that was a program that actually um, became fairly widely known mm -hmm. as one of the um, early approaches to analogy making. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in terms of applications, this would uh, just to kind of give a, a simplification, you would say, let's say in case of stock trading, a particular approach which worked and the system would try and uh, apply it in, in some other domains or in some other markets. Is that is that uh, how? Yeah. So my, my research is really very much basic research. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't applied, but it was more trying to get at the foundations of how we generalize, mm -hmm. you know, how we humans are able to so flexibly generalize what we know to new domains. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's something that's still very much lacking in AI systems. Right, right. And, um, you know, even with all of the huge progress that's been made due to deep learning and uh, modern computing, mm -hmm. uh, that's still an open problem in AI is this whole question of generalization. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, that's what uh, I would like to ask. So you have seen almost, you know, a complete cycle of uh, AI. So it was hot in, uh, you know, when you did your PhD, and then it went through a cycle of low activity. And in last few years, it has again kind of uh, uh, got a lot of attention. So how do you see these developments? And then, you know, how excited are you about uh, deep learning and some of the things which it is enabling and what is what is your view on it a lot it's interesting that most of the progress that's been made recently mm -hmm. has been due more to uh, Im improvements in computing and availability yeah. of huge data sets mm -hmm. than to new insights right. so you know convolutional deep convolutional neural networks which are kind of the biggest thing nowadays were invented in the 80s, mm -hmm. you know, just about the time that a little before I was starting my PhD. Mm -hmm. um, and the problem, and they, they were used, they were being applied to like uh, digit recognition, handwritten digit recognition, but they just, they didn't have the compute power that they really needed until recently to, to show that they could actually do a very broad set of, of, of tasks. Mm -hmm. I think that I, I'm, I'm very excited about deep learning and I think it's uh, really useful, mm -hmm. but unfortunately it, it, it has, it doesn't capture really what I think of as the essence of human intelligence, yeah. which is, you know, our ability to take what we know and apply it flexibly mm -hmm. in whatever situation we encounter. Deep learning has some of the same problems as the earlier AI. It's, it's much more successful than like symbolic logic-based AI, mm -hmm. but it's still fairly brittle in that if you take a deep neural network that's been trained on one data set and you uh, apply it in a slightly different uh, domain, it, mm -hmm. it, it's, very, it, it's very easy to make these systems break. Yeah. So I think there's 
you know, we still haven't seen the sort of the key insights in AI that we're going to need to get to anything like human intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, as as you rightly said, you know, uh, right now the systems need a lot of data as well as a lot of uh, uh, compute power to, uh, to achieve the results, which uh, uh, they are achieving. So, uh, uh, you know, how how do you see the next, say, five to ten years shaping up? Uh, uh, do you see developments on uh, on these dimensions where we'll probably either come up with algorithms where, uh, or we might need to come up with algorithms which need data set in terms of the volume or uh, which can probably do computations uh, faster. So, so how do you see next five to ten years? Um, I think that one approach that's becoming more and more popular today is unsupervised learning, mm-hmm. sort of combining unsupervised learning with supervised learning. So supervised learning is where you have uh, a label for every data point, right? You, you have an image and it says, you know, German shepherd or, uh, you know, umbrella or you know it's labeled by a human and um that's what deep neural networks nowadays generally need but people have found that there there's several kinds of unsupervised learning Mm -hmm. where you actually don't have to have a label you have you have data but Mm -hmm. there's no label and Mm -hmm. the machines can learn actually what are important features just from looking at the data in the ways that you know maybe are similar to what the brain does, mm-hmm. uh, and it seems that that kind of unsupervised learning, people are just sort of beginning to figure out how to do that in, in a way that really is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to be very important in the next five to ten years, mm-hmm. because you know there is a lot of data in the world, but just most of it's not labeled. Yeah, yeah, and you know children babies learn a huge amount from just exploring the world with that. We don't label everything in the world that they see, but they just explore the world actively and try and figure things out. And I think, um, you know, that's kind of the route for machines is to be more active, more unsupervised, um, Mm -hmm. more, more uh, brain like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Correct. So, you know, and I would like to mention the article which you had uh, uh, written on New York Times uh, uh, as well because we are on a related discussion. So so there you had said that, uh, you know, you don't expect a human level AI or, or AI which would come anywhere near that in the, in the next decade. So can you tell us a bit more uh, about, you know, what are some of the reasons why you feel so and and when do you think would be the reasonable timeline for an AGI system? Every time someone makes a prediction about that, <laughs> they get into trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if I can make a prediction. I think it's just... No. Yeah, it's not a prediction. I guess it's, it's more of a perspective to be... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, I think, you know, people underestimate how complex intelligence is. Yeah. And one of the things that we've, you know, people have been finding with AI systems is sort of how much knowledge, sort of just general knowledge about the world Mm -hmm. is needed to act intelligently. And, you know, one example is uh, with autonomous cars. You know, Mm -hmm. that's something that 
it has seemed on the horizon for a long time and it's not clear exactly when we're going to sort of have this broadly broadly deployed autonomous cars and one of the problems is that it turns out that we humans use a lot of common sense when we drive yeah. and by common sense i mean we know a lot of things like we know that you can if there's a paper bag in the road you, you don't have to worry about driving over it but if there's a pile of glass in the road, you probably shouldn't drive over that. Mm -hmm. And um, whereas uh, self-driving cars have a lot of trouble figuring out what obstacles they should stop for and what things they shouldn't stop for. And that's mm -hmm. been, you know, I, I, and to solve that problem, we have to have a lot of common sense about how the world works, you know, mm -hmm. and know like what, what we expect a person to do, what we expect an inanimate object to do, what we expect an animal to do. Yeah. And this is all called sort of under the umbrella of common sense. And this idea of imbuing computers with common sense has now become a very important idea in artificial intelligence is getting more and more attention and more funding. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But nobody really knows how to do it. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons that I don't think we're going to see sort of human level intelligent machines in the next decade or even maybe even the next 50 years. It's just that it's very complex and we don't really have any idea right now how, how to get there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know some people disagree with me, but that's my, that's my opinion. Yeah, completely respect that. Uh, although personally, I think 50 years is, uh, uh, I mean, based on the estimates I've read by experts, 50 years is on the longest side, but uh, you rightly said no one, no one really knows what, what uh, needs to happen to reach there. So Yeah, I mean, it's been predicted for, you know, since, since the beginning of AI, people have been predicting in the next 10, 20 years, we're going to have... Uh, artificial intelligence and you know it's been what like 70 years since the beginning of ai maybe even 80 years and i still don't think we're very close at all yeah, yeah. so i don't see why 50 years seems like a long time <laughs> sure. to solve these extremely complex Obviously. problems about intelligence yeah. that is true uh, one of the things which you have previously spoken about is, you know, the long tail problem of AI. And, and I think we briefly also kind of referred to it. So can you tell us a bit more about that? And, and uh, you know, uh, what does it translate to in terms of challenges uh, with AI? Right. So the long tail is a, it's a term in sort of statistics where mm -hmm. if you think about, if you just go about your everyday life, what kinds of things do you actually encounter? Mm -hmm. What kinds of situations do you encounter? You know, and some situations are very, very likely to, to be encountered. Yeah. And some situations are much rarer, but it, mm -hmm. the long tail is sort of the uh, shape of the distribution if you plot it. So mm -hmm. the likely things, the tail are sort of the low probability events, mm -hmm. but there's so many of them yeah. that it's very, it's sort of a, a contradiction, but it's very probable that an improbable event is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> there's so many improbable events. Yeah, and so the improbable events are the things that um, sometimes don't turn up in the training data of, mm -hmm. of, of an AI system, you know. Mm -hmm. 
and you never know which improbable events are going to happen. And so the problem is that they don't, um, they, they, they just can't deal with situations that are outside of their sort of training experience because they have this problem with generalization. Right. So that's the idea of the long tail. And, and it, you know, for the self-driving car example is a really good example for that because, you know, there's so many possible situations that you might have to deal with in driving. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to predict them. It's hard to train for all of them or program in rules for all of them. And so cars are going to need to be able to apply sort of uh, generalization and even analogy to figure out what to do in new situations, just like humans do. Dear listener, I am extremely excited to announce that more than 50,000 data scientists have registered and benefited from our trainings portal. There are three things which matter to us in our trainings. Number one, we make sure that you understand the underlying concepts through simple and easy to understand content. Number two, all our courses come with industry relevant projects and assignments. We work closely with companies to make sure that the problems in the course are all real life and they come directly from industry. And number three, we make sure that you get all the support you need in this journey. We provide phone and email support along with live question and answer sessions. In short, we are 100% committed to making sure that you are supported in your data science journey through these courses. Check out these courses today at trainings.analyticsvidya.com. You know, one of the parallels to the long tail analogy is the uh, black swan analogy by Nicholas Taleb, where he says that, uh, you know, there are some very, very rare events. So, uh, and, you know, when I'm thinking about it, long tail uh, are also uh, probably events where uh, human mind is today efficient and we can, you know, kind of uh, see those analogies, but machines can't. But, uh, you know, if you have to kind of extend it a step uh, ahead, probably those, uh, you know, black swan events are uh, events where even the human mind is not, uh, you know, we, we have not been able to draw analogies to predict those. And, you know, uh, if anything like that happens, machines would probably be really bad at it anyways. Right. I mean, there are obviously things that the human mind can't deal with very well either, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. We saw the, the, you know, financial crisis that mm -hmm. was kind of a black swan yeah. uh, in Caleb's terms, meaning yeah. that it was just something that no one had ever considered could possibly happen. Okay. And uh, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but for the most part, mm -hmm. you know, humans are pretty good at adapting to... Okay new situations. That's kind of what intelligence is, in my view. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we just don't have machines that are very good at that yet. Good, good. And, uh, uh, you know, 
taking a step further uh, one of the challenges as kind of machines are uh, becoming smarter and they are being deployed on day to day use cases uh, which comes up as uh, uh, you know regarding ethics or uh, how do we make sure that the data is not biased especially the ones on which the machines are trained so so how do you see that Uh, and then you know what are some of the immediate challenges you think would uh, come out because of these uh, uh, challenges related to ethics yeah it's it's difficult because um one problem with uh deep neural networks is it's hard to figure out why they make particular decisions mm-hmm. there's so many parameters right there's so many different weights that play into their decisions and it's hard for us to look at them and kind of extract a a, a reason mm-hmm. and so the question is then like how do we know if we can trust them mm-hmm. and that's that's really i think an ethics question sort of how much should we deploy these systems when we don't really understand what kinds of errors they're going to make what kinds of biases they're going to have and so on are we just going to sort of let them do what they do until some you know they do something bad and then try and fix it after the fact i mean that's kind of the way that software deployment works yeah. <laughs> in the world <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it has a, it has some serious risks especially if we're using it to um, affect people's lives mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that is true and you have a, a book coming up uh, on the subject which is uh, titled artificial intelligence a guide for thinking humans uh, can you tell us a bit about that what can we expect from the book or what is the main theme underlying uh, in in the book right it's um it's coming out in october mm-hmm. that's when the publication date is mm-hmm. and um it's really um uh, targeted at a general audience it's mm-hmm. it's meant to be um accessible yet um goes a little bit deeper than most i think general audience books do in trying to explain how these technologies actually work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the kinds of um things they've been applied to and um what their limitations are what what kinds of problems they have mm-hmm. and i think you know the the theme of I'd say the theme of the book if I had to say there's a theme you know it's how much does AI actually need to understand mm-hmm. the data that it's dealing with in order to be reliable mm-hmm. and what does that even mean you know <laughs> what does it mean to understand you know we we have speech recognition programs that can transcribe speech into text mm-hmm. but they don't actually understand in the way that we humans do the the yeah. speech that they're processing or same with vision systems and and um natural language processing systems and i guess my thesis is that this lack of understanding makes these systems intrinsically unreliable mm-hmm. and that's going to be an issue for ai uh unless we find a way to make the systems more dealing with semantics mm-hmm. and the meaning of uh the meaning of the data that they that they process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. And, uh, you know, among uh, various uh, lines of research which are happening in AI, which which one do you uh, feel most excited about and which one uh, do you think could really be a, uh, you know, step change in the way we are looking at AI uh, today? Um, I'm most excited about the research that tries to sort of bridge cognitive science with AI. Mm-hmm. or uh, sort of brain-inspired mechanisms with AI. Mm-hmm. So um, trying to understand sort of how people operate and trying to you know, understand that in a very deep way mm-hmm. and see if we can um, use those ideas for AI. I think that's... Uh, something I think is going to go a long way. I mean, that's been around for a long time, but, you know, as we learn more and more about how human intelligence works, that's something that we can incorporate into AI systems. Um, I think, you know, for the most part, AI and cognitive science used to be closer together as Mm -hmm. fields, Um, but they've kind of separated as AI became more uh, applied and, more less of less of a science and more of an engineering Engineering. area Mm -hmm. but i think that as as people see that the systems are not as robust or as generalizable as we'd like them to be people Mm -hmm. are going to return to ideas from cognitive science to try and make the systems uh you know more more human-like right right no that's true that's uh, i mean that's the only way uh we can probably solve this uh, problem one last question related to your advice. So for people who are, you know, getting into uh, data science and they're just starting out their career as, as AI professionals, what would be your advice? How should they think about uh, their career, especially, you know, uh, if they have to take a time horizon of uh, uh, next 10 to 15 years, what are some of the things which uh, you would recommend them to uh, focus more on as opposed to what? Uh, people generally uh, uh, talk about? Um, that's a good question. Uh, it, I guess it sort of depends on what they're working on. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, a- and I guess, uh, don't don't be afraid to sort of uh, read, read ideas that are not strictly in the, the discipline that you're working in, you know. Mm-hmm. Try and broaden your source of ideas mm-hmm. about how, how to do things. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really, you can get a lot of really interesting ideas about, you know, I, I've learned a lot from reading a lot about biology and psychology as well as, as trying to, you know, understand machine learning and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um, that's to be encouraged. You know, I think too many data science people sort of they they sort of see their field as uh just limited to sort of computation and statistics Mm -hmm. and it i think in order to um get new ideas into the field it has to be broadened completely uh agree with that Uh, i also personally uh, feel the same way that you know as long as we kind of don't bring out some of the ideas from other domains and think of new ways of uh, uh, 
uh, either implementing them or, or new architectures will will kind of stay at a local uh, uh, optima rather than kind of uh, uh, improve forward. So, uh, so that yeah. definitely resonates. Uh, anything else which you would want to mention to the community? Anything else which you would want to tell them? <laughs> um, I don't think I have any sage advice. I mean, data science. Data science is such a broad area. Mm-hmm. Hard to you know. It's hard to say what. There's so many different, so many different sub areas in it. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think that the, um, as I said earlier, I you know, looking to unsupervised learning. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the next big thing in machine learning and data science in general. Sure. Thanks. Thanks a lot, uh, uh, Professor Mitchell. And uh, it was great to talk to you. And uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, your book as and when it comes out. And uh, I'll I'll definitely give it a read uh, and and kind of uh, how things are. But thanks. Thanks a lot for uh, taking time out. And it was great talking to you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Sure. Thanks. Thanks a lot, uh, uh, Professor Mitchell. Thank you.